This is God's word. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all gods of all nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord all your families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in his splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in their faithfulness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I invite you to join me in a word of prayer. God of grace, thank you for um, the, the way that you say in your scriptures that you meet us with your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness. And we find ourselves in so many different places, but some of us have been in places or we are in places where we, we run or in some degree are running from you or putting up great barriers between ourselves and you. And and thank you for the message of grace that says even runaways are often tracked down by your son Jesus and brought home by your grace. And may we um, today, as we as we listen for you to speak into our lives, and some of us maybe great skepticism about whether that's even going to happen. Others of us, um, it's a long, lifelong practice. May you please now speak to us in a way that we find helpful for our own spiritual uh, journey, for our own growth in knowing you. Meet us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So the Wards, the Ward family of Smithfield, North Carolina, received astonishing news from their tax preparer last month. The the write-up goes like this. The Wards couldn't believe the news when their tax preparer called them um, to tell them that they were getting $54,000 in a refund this year. Thelma Ward was speechless. She had to hand the phone to her husband so she could dance around the living room floor in shock. I was thanking God like never before, she said. We're just overwhelmed. That amount was so huge, it was unbelievable. And even their tax preparer uh, said she had to check the math 10 to 15 times. We couldn't believe it when we told everything up. We were like, that can't be right. Um, we had never seen anything like it before, so we had to check it all over and over again. So what's bringing the big windfall? The Federal Adoption Tax Credit. In the past few years, the wards have expanded their already big clan of seven children by adopting five new kids. <laughs> and for each of these adopted children, they are eligible for a one-time tax credit of up to $13,170. The credit has been around since 1997, but this tax season it was refundable for the first time, which is the tax equivalent of hitting the jackpot. Um, I, 
I had to actually, when I first saw this article about a month ago, I had, I really had to kind of look online. I thought it was a joke. <laughs> um, that, that much of a b- refund. Can you imagine what would you do if you got some kind of windfall like this? You know, we find ourselves in so, so many different places with regard to money. And, and yes, if you haven't figured it out yet, t- today we're talking about money. <laughs> Sorry if this is first week at City Life, you know, your friend brought you along and thank you. It's Money Sunday. But as, as, you know, as, um, Pastor Nick was, was joking with me this week. You know, it's better than circumcision Sunday. You know, on that that week when we talk about that. Um, but seriously, we are in the series of of the six gifts that worship gives you. And today we talk about that part of the worship service where an offering is taken. But we find ourselves in different places. You've got your frugal fan, frugal Franny, not Fanny, frugal Franny, who's got sixty thousand dollars in savings in the bank, but but is pinching pennies at every turn and a tax return comes for $2,000 and no one ever hears about it because she just quickly, carefully, quietly puts it in savings. And then you've got Spendy Spencer, right? Maybe six, $700 in the bank total, but that tax refund comes for $400 and it's, hey, I got money. And you know, maybe a new game system is purchased and all the friends are brought over because I got, I got a refund. Or, you know, a trip out to Tahoe or to San Francisco with friends along. I got, I got money. $400. We just find ourselves in very different places on the whole spectrum of finances. But underneath all of it, there's a lot of common kind of threads, especially spiritually speaking, in terms of where we find ourselves. There's also one other thread, is that none of us are rich, right? None of, none of us are rich, or at least rich enough. We, this, we always kind of look up to the next level, compare ourselves to the wealthiest friend or person we know or sibling or whatever. None of us are rich, right? Um, comedian Jeff Gaffigan has a little bit on this. If, if you don't know who that is, he's got, maybe you know he's got the hot pocket kind of uh, little thing. Anybody know about the hot pocket routine, Jeff Gaffigan? Anyway, very funny comedian. And um, he's got this little little thing he says that, you know, wouldn't it be really embarrassing to tell someone from a starving country, uh, explain to them what an appetizer is. Oh, yeah, well, it's the food we eat before we get the food. Um, oh, no, dessert? No, that's the food we get after we eat the food. Um, that's my best Jeff Gaffigan voice, if you haven't heard him. Um, and, and truthfully speaking, if you really look at, at, at what it means worldwide right now to be rich, you might be rich if um, you or your kids went to or are going to a going to go to a college and when they get there there's a catalog that has hundreds of pages listing programs opportunities internships activities you might be rich you might be rich if you have um you have a shelter you know that that keeps you warm and keeps the elements away from your life you have a bed that you sleep in but once in a while at certain times of the year you vacate that shelter and that bed you go and you sleep in another one in a different bed and you actually pay separately for that and you keep have both at the same time but you you're just going to a different one for a little bit and that's where you're gonna and and then you might be rich if when you do that you maybe have an employer who pays for that other shelter and bed while you go and you stay there for one reason or another you might be rich if in order to have a child and to have a baby um you can stop your job and return to it months later and get paid while you're not working to have a baby or to, for your spouse to have a baby. might be rich. You might be rich if once a, once a month or maybe more than once a month you are a little bit tired of making your own food and cleaning up after it and so you go to another place where people make the food for you and they bring it to your table and say nice things to you and then 
afterwards, they clean up all the mess, and you just walk home and you pay them to do that. And then you go back to your shelter with your cooking appliances and everything else that you have there. You might be rich if, if during meals you have your favorite other kind of beverage that you drink with, and not just water, but with, you know, with breakfast there's one and maybe even a different one at lunch and then your favorite beverage, you know, maybe before dinner and after dinner. You maybe even have special places in your cupboards if you're rich where you have glasses of different sizes and different shapes, each associated with a specific kind of beverage that you only use that, you know, with, with that container. You might be rich. I mean, just globally speaking, what does wealth mean? Even in a time of recession like this, 95% of you, sorry, you're rich. You're rich. And that's kind of the starting place as we look at this. Um, and, and look, this is, this, is, this is what the Bible says. And nine, Psalm 96 is a great picture of this, is that nothing is more logical and makes more sense as people come together to worship God than for there to be a time when there is a collection taken, like an offering taken. And I know many of you are like, that is my, I disagree. I, I hate that part of the service, but just follow me with this. Psalm 96, right in the heart of it, I don't know if you notice, it's like the middle of the psalm, all this amazing pious praise and worship is happening. And then there it is, right in the middle. Bring forth an offering into the courts. So we're going to look at how, actually this is a theory, is that the offering plate is a gift to you. I don't know. Again, you might just just follow me on the two reasons why um, I think this psalm says that it's a gift to you, and it's because it's a grace checkpoint in your life. It's a grace checkpoint in your life, and it's a chance to expose God's worth. Okay, so this would be the theory the, uh, the coming from the Bible about what what what's going on with finances. And if you really don't buy these points, and you're like, "Oh, great, I'm at the beginning of a of a message here that's about money," just know that that inside of this, I believe, are some of the best kind of framework basic pieces of an under spiritual understanding of money whether you buy the idea of of an offering in a worship service or not there's still i think the the brickwork the framework the foundation here that's helpful to anyone um and two two caveats two two things that i want to dismiss possible misconceptions before we start the first misconception is that today this is about um city life church or mark holland really wants your money as a result of of this um, and that's not the case. And just to that, to defend that a little bit, I just want to say there's a, a financial update that came out this week, and there's uh, paper ones in the back if you didn't get the email that just kind of say, hey, the last couple months in terms of benchmarks of a growing, more self-sustaining church have been the city life offerings have been phenomenal and great in the last two two months. And so this isn't any kind of desperate plea. This is just fitting within what is worship. The second thing is that the misconception that I am a professional at this. I'm a pro at the generosity game. And I just want to say up front that I'm often humbled, and especially this week as I develop this, very humbled at my own, just a sense of what when I know how much God is worth and what he does for me and us in our world, I'm humbled at how um, minuscule and unimpressive my generosity is uh, compared to that. And so I don't feel like these are things that I am a pro at. So it's so, first of all, it's a grace checkpoint in your life. When that offering plate comes around, it's a grace checkpoint. And we don't think about, about it that way. But here's what John Cassian in the fourth century, this great writer, maybe you've heard quotes from him before. And he's talking about the church and giving and tithing and all these kinds of things. And he keeps using this phrase, scaling the heights of the gospel of grace. 
And he keeps using this. And as I read that, I, it just stuck with me. What a vivid image and what an unusual place to put it. That in the act of giving, in the act of, of sacrificially giving something of, you, of yours to God, um, that what's going on in someone who's giving generously is they are scaling the heights of the gospel of grace. They're scaling the heights of knowing the grace of God. And it, as he talks about it, the more that's given is the more there's a good chance that someone is really riding the tidal wave of the grace of God. Um, and that's not how we experience the offering plate comes around. And I know, I know that you, you feel this way. I know you have these times or maybe you always feel this way. You know, you feel one, at one point you feel embarrassed because you know, I don't have anything to put in, so I feel embarrassed. Or, um, you just, some, this, but for us, the bucket, you know, the little bucket comes around and you feel maybe, you just end up feeling angry by the end of it because there's a sense of, there's, is there some kind of guilt being pressed here? And I, here we go again, the church and money, that's just a bad combination. Or maybe there's just a, if, if there's no other way to say it, maybe when that bucket comes around, there's just a, a revealing, maybe just even within yourself, of, of really an ungenerous heart. There's just a, a skimpy kind of giving that is at work. All of that's just to say, when, when that offering plate comes around, there's, there's all this data for us about our hearts. There's data. There's, this is a point in which the data of your heart kind of just rises to the surface and you, it, what is exposed is, you know, I care most of all above anything what people think about me. Or um, most of all, I just got a problem with anger and bitterness and not trusting people. Or, um, you know what, I just really, am, in all areas of my life, it turns out right now, I'm, I have no trust in God. I'm having difficult giving over the reins to anything, to this God who made me. <laughs> you know, so as this is happening, there's all this data. And if you follow the thread of the data that's going on with you, eventually you get down to the really deep, really big comprehensive stuff that's going on that's connected to money. These are the kinds of questions that are at work in your life. Am I loved? Am I lovable? Am I someone who God might be able to love? That's going on, actually, underneath issues with money. Uh, Do I know who I am? Do I have a secure identity? follow your issues with money, it might lead towards some big questions like that. And in the Bible, um, we're led to actually follow that thread as a sort of a practice of humility and realize what, what really is wrapped up in all of this is the fact that if you dig deep, you realize that there is a part of you that is true to say you have a poverty kind of inside in your soul. There's a, there's a sense in which every one of us has an impoverished soul The Bible says God wants nothing more. His mission is to bring his wealth and his richness to impoverished souls. Um, This psalm, um, you look at it at first and you kind of see it's a nice psalm, Psalm 96. It's got singing and worship. You look a little closer, you see, oh, it talks about an offering. You look at it for a while, you stare long, long enough at it and you see that there's something right in the middle of it, like a fulcrum, right in the middle of the psalm, bring forth an offering. And at the beginning and end of it, there's, there's a mentioning of the acts and deeds of God. And finishing with verse 12, which says, uh, actually, verse 13, let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes. So right in the middle, offering. And what does that spin on? What is on either side of it? God's deeds of salvation, God's acts, he comes. Now, you might get a little terrified and scared as you read the end of that because it talks about judgment. 
But right in this is is central to the message of the grace of God that we learn through Jesus. You look at this psalm and you say, wait, how did God come into our world? And what did happen with judgment? Should I be, because I feel kind of like I have an impoverished soul and I wonder, is God going to deal with maybe with with anger towards me because of my, is that how he deals with impoverished souls? Am I going to get judgment? And the answer that comes in his son Jesus is that when God comes, he takes the judgment off of you. And there's something that that um, Christians have talked about for centuries now called the great exchange that happens through Jesus on the cross where the Son of God experiences judgment so that you can experience being a child of God. How does that relate to money? How does that relate to finances? Well, you have been... God wants you to see Him not as, you know, is God walking around going now... I don't know, what percentage are you giving? Did you give enough this time? Are you giving? How much are you giving? I want to know. I think God would just laugh at it. I go, get a clue. I'm on this mission so that you will be known that in the, you will know that in the great exchange of Jesus, my son on the cross, you got to be my child. And you are invited now into the mansion of a king. And, um, if you know that, if you live like that, then what you begin to do is you finally relax. Not just with money, in all aspects of your life. There comes a sort of relaxation um, towards the troubling questions that are underneath the surface. Um, your issues of reputation and wondering what people think, that is healed because the great father, king, has called you his child and invited you home into the mansion. Anger diffused. Who's there to be angry at now? Skimpy, cautious giving? That's, that's fixed. That's healed because now you're giving money away with a laugh. I live in a mansion. I live with this rich, wealthy king who has brought that wealth into my impoverished soul and I'm settled. Now, um, when the offering plate comes around, it is a grace checkpoint because it literally, as the data of your heart comes to the surface, it's it's sort of this chance. Like my wife and I, we say this thing now that we're in the mode of texting each, texting everyone. You know, we're texting all the time. Can't get enough texting. I didn't even know what texting was six years ago, but now we're texting all the time. And so what is it, this little thing we develop? We say to each other, who are you with? That's pretty good, huh? Because, you know, I mean, you ask somebody something, I I get asked, and I don't answer the person that I'm actually physically with because I'm doing this. And it's this checkpoint of like, well, who are you with? It's a loving, it's not a, you know, mean, angry thing. It's just a loving, like, who are you with? And it's sort of just kind of, oh, you kind of look up, oh, yeah, that's right, I'm with you. And there's a little bit of sense in which the offering plate does that. Who are you with? Where's your heart? Are you a child of God in the mansion? Of his great wealth, then you're, you know, then you've sort of got this lightness about uh, life, and you've got this dispensability about income. And an offering is the most logical thing to have in the middle of a worship service. If you're not, if your fingers of your soul are clenched around other things, um, then you kind of realize, why am I getting angry? Why am I offended on so many levels right now? It's a grace checkpoint. Um, are you scaling the heights of grace? Now, just real quickly, let me get to the second point.
point of why I think the offering plate is a, is a gift. Because it's a chance to expose God's wrath. God, God's wrath. God's worth. Another, <laughs> another W. Another, boy, man, I'm, I'm really blowing it. <laughs> Gotta say something really positive and then just end right here before I say anything worse. I'm sorry. That's your fear. Exposing God's wrath. A chance to expose God's worth. I was going on in my mind to try to, 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 to um, what I was going to say next. It took me way too long to catch that. In verses 7 through 7 and 8, um, there's this word ascribe that's used uh, three times. Ascribe, ascribe, ascribe. And what is being ascribed? Glory, God's glory. And that word ascribe is habu in Hebrew. And it was also used, an interesting place it was used was when, um, we talked about this story a couple weeks ago, when David was sending Uriah the Hittite, one of his best soldiers, out to the front lines because he wanted him to get killed because he wanted to take his wife, who he had already taken. And so uh, he's sending him out, and the word is send him out, put him out, habu. Put him out on the front lines where he's exposed and he's out in front. Ascribe. Put out in front. Expose what? God's glory, which is another way of saying God's worth. God's incredible value in our lives. And that's a very relevant thing people are wondering. Is it even worthwhile to spend any time with the God of these ancient scriptures, with with the God that Christians hold to, that they end up making them do really weird things like standing on the street corner and saying the rapture is coming on May 21. I mean, is it really any, is there value to this? Um, worth, value. That's what, that's what's happening with an offering. You notice that what happens here is that in verse 8 it ends, it's ascribe, 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 put forth God's worth, put forth his glory. And it doesn't just say, sing something or say something, say a prayer. It says, it ends kind of this climactic ascribing uh, theme with, Bring forth an offering into the courts. And Walter Brueggemann, who's an Old Testament scholar, says, in these days of, of kings and kingdoms, you would never enter the courts of a king empty-handed. There's just this immense worth. There's somebody you're coming before who could open the floodgates of wealth in your life with a snap. What do you... You know, bring forth that uh, that you show show that kind of worth, expose that kind of worth with your life, and that's what can happen in the church. That's what can happen in those who are a part of this movement of the grace of God coming into impoverished souls. Is that you can experience the worth of God and His value so much that you could just begin to act so unusual and strange with your money, and it and it's just flippant almost is how it can be. A great test case in this, this happened in the, the beginning of the Christian movement in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 4 and 5. So you have these references to people just selling all kinds of things and there's, it's said that there's no poor people among them, no needy persons among them, because people were bringing fields and selling property and doing this and that, and that's just, it was just happening. It was, and it, it clearly was happening a lot because it wasn't just like someone quietly, you know, left their inheritance and, and no one really knew about it. It was happening so much that it was becoming known. There's a movement of this happening. And what's ha- what was happening? People, it was, it was an outbreak of people exposing the worth of God. God is worth so much. There's nothing I can give that will compare to it, and I have so much. And so I never really knew how to make sense of this 
uh, passage, really, until Psalm 96 puts it into perspective. But in Acts chapter 5, there's the story of Ananias and Sapphira, who, when they sell a field and they bring the money forward, they, they, they tell a little white lie that, oh yeah, this is, this is all the money, and they hold back a whole bunch. They hold back some for themselves, and they drop dead because of it. And I know, you're re- if you're reading that, you're going, this is, this is, God has reverted here to some kind of old, ancient Old Testament thing. I thought it was all about grace now and the New Testament and Jesus. What is this like people dying on the spot? What is going on? Um, what do we do with this? But, but I think, I, I think this is exactly what's going on is there was an incredibly God glorifying, uh, movement or outbreak of the worth of God that was being shown. So to the world, to the church, and to all those looking in, what was happening was it was like people are living as if they know like a great king who's so wealthy that they have no worry about anything. That's how people are living in, in large numbers. So this kind of impression is is kind of snowballing. And in the middle of it is somebody who's exposing... You know, Ananias and Sapphira come in, and what are they exposing? Sort of a a frugal, kind of non-trusting, I'm mainly worried about people's, uh, how people view me, so I'm gonna say this is more than it is. And, and what I think, God wanted this glory, this worth outbreak to continue. And He didn't want it to be sullied or ended by a couple of people who were just, uh, in it for themselves and in it for their own reputation and their money. And there was such an amazing outbreak that needed to happen that God wanted to dramatically put an end to this kind of, you know, kind of inward focused people who didn't get God's worth at all. I don't know if that plays well for you at all, but I thought that was a fascinating connection to Psalm 96. And I think it just goes to show that there's, in the offering, is this chance to expose God's worth. Expose God's worth. What's his value in your life? And it's easier to get, it's easy to get tangled up in finer points of, well, you know, but, I mean, give everything. I know in the New Testament, some people gave half of all they had, and Jesus said to that one rich guy, give away everything, but don't you need something? And, and how much do you need? And how much do you give away? And I know there's all these finer points that are, they're interesting to get involved in, but I think Psalm 96 just drives you back to one question over and over. Are you doing anything with your finances? that exposes the worth of God? Are you doing anything with your money that would, could, be, could be interpreted by someone else if they saw it? Is behavior of someone who knows a very rich king and is not worried about what's going to happen next in life because of your relationship and your trust in that king? In other words, do you have any confidence in God? With your finances. About a year ago, um, an article comes out because we are seeing the first signs of the recession maybe uh, coming to an end. Maybe you know some signs that we are getting back to normal. And this article was written about how the recession spawned uh, what may be a semi-permanent frugality among you know Americans. That you know this recession has taught us to be frugal and it's going to last even after the recovery. And so the quote goes, the recession may have bred a new frugality that will endure well into the recovery. And then uh, Marjorie Feldman, uh, who of suburban St. Louis, who retired three years ago as a systems analyst for an, a utility company, she says this, I had retired assuming I'd make money off my investments. 
but I just don't feel as confident in the economy, and I never will again. Your confidence in something will be, or your lack thereof, will be directly related to how you handle your money. Where is your confidence? Is there confidence in God? Or is there a lack of confidence? Or is your confidence somewhere else? And the thing about this, um, this psalm is, is, it shows us that it can, it, at any moment, you know, recession, not recession, God's worth doesn't fluctuate, ever. So in the middle of recession, or in the middle of recovery, or in the middle of boom times, any time in there, there can be an outbreak in God's people of his worth that just happens by God's grace. Will you pray with me as we seek for that to happen in our own lives? God of grace, um, we need your help so much that um, um, I'm sure the, uh, our feelings towards you and towards money and towards what we have and what you call on our lives is so diverse and mostly probably negative in our responses. We need your help to see that there's something so good that whether it has to do with money or whether it has to do with our relationships or whether it has to do with how we spend our time or what kind of career we pursue, there's something so great that you bring to us and you bring it freely and you bring it as a gift of grace. Would you help us with your Holy Spirit to grab hold of whatever that is, that grace that comes to us, that you say comes to us through Jesus? Would you help us to, to grab hold of it and for it to be ours in a way that is, feels warranted and real and good? Would you help us? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.